0: One verse, and uh, one verse that is actually just the springboard to look at most of the Old Testament and a good bit of the New Testament. Um, that's what we're doing. Uh, you can see the title there, Christmas in Exodus, and, and I've titled it such because this one tree of a verse has roots, uh, it has its roots in Exodus and really is going to Uh, have fruit then that comes in the book of Revelation. And so I hope you'll go on this journey with me. Uh, I don't know if it's just you uh, or if it's just me, but rain on Christmas Eve, uh, though it it can be gloomy and though it can be sad and though we could wish for more, you know, that Texas Christmas, you know, like 70, sunny, sunny, that we can long for that, really rain on Christmas from what I have heard. One of your pastors and among my friends and different things like that, rain on Christmas is the least of our worries. Uh, Because honestly, this phrase uh, has come up more than a half dozen times in just the past week, if not just the past couple days. This is not what I had planned for Christmas. This is not what I expected this Christmas. And l- let me just tell you, one of, our, one of our own members is driving from the loss of their grandmother you know, back to town this morning. I got a text message this week of a dear, dear family friend uh, of some of us who lost a, a child in the womb. Uh, I have been calls of relationships broken and strained uh, in the midst of that. I've, I've had phone calls um, that, and text messages sent out of um, just praying, saying, please pray. Uh, don't know what to do in this situation. Uh, I can't tell you how many uh, aren't here because of sickness of one case or the other, uh, and, and the list could go on and on and on. Um, our Christmases don't look like the commercials all the time. You know, with the, the snow and the car, with the bow and the dogs and, you know, all those kinds of things. This is more the reality of our, our Christmas. And if it isn't this year, praise God. I want to rejoice with you at the same time that I weep with others whose is not. But pastorally, as as one of the shepherds here at the fields, I I want us to not just um, simply uh, look to the surface level, earthly level, horizontal happiness and joy that we hope we can have at Christmas, whether it be tonight when you sit around with one another and share gifts and eat good meals tomorrow and open stockings and whatever it is. I I hope that we can experience that, but I hope if not, if all of those plans are just wiped away because of sickness or death or um, things that you could have never have planned come up, um, I pray that there is hope in Christ that will supersede uh, just the earthly horizontal. And as I've been talking about throughout the entire Gospel of John, it has to be vertical. Our hope has to be vertical. It cannot be horizontal alone. Uh, Jesus gives us earthly hope, um, but we have a vertical hope, uh, an eternal hope with Christ. And I'm I'm hopeful that that's what we will uh, be challenged to, to see in these passages, not only looking backwards to the first coming of Christ, but looking forwards to the second coming of Christ. And I've said this before, maybe around Easter or maybe another Christmas, but when we get to Christmas or Easter, uh, my kids at different times have asked the question, well, which one is more important? And it's at that point where I have to say, well, they're both They're both equally important. If you take one away, the other doesn't really matter that much. And that's true of not only Christmas, but it's also true where we celebrate the birth of Christ, but it's also true of the life of Christ. It's true of the death of Christ. It's true of the burial of Christ. It's true of the resurrection of Christ. It's true of the ascension of Christ. It's true of all of the aspects of Christ because all of them were promised to us in the Word. And if one of them doesn't come to fruition, then His Word is not trustworthy. But they all have, and they're all of equal importance. And so this morning as we reflect on, yes, the birth of Christ, uh, we're also going to remember how all of the aspects of of Christ uh, are important. But it is uh, this birth of Christ that uh, that we are longing to remember it is this one verse in the Gospel of John that is our uh, launching point into the rest of god 's word for if you 're aware uh, John doesn 't have the birth narrative that the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of Matthew have that 's why graham hasn 't written any story uh, songs for good news, great joy from the gospel of John, uh, though we could read, r- write a really deep theological one about the Word for an appendix later on the second release of the album. Um, but John doesn't have that normal birth narrative. It has a different introduction to Jesus, and, and it's in that, uh, the, that opening verses, chapter 1 all the way through verse 18, but we're really looking at one verse this morning, John 1, 14. Uh, The Word became flesh. That is John's birth narrative right there. That Jesus was born of Mary. And He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I want to point out several things uh, from this one verse. Jumping backwards and then jumping forwards in hopes that we will have a hope that lasts this morning, uh, a hope and a longing for the second coming of Christ to fulfill these things to be true. So if you have your word, stay in John, look at John. Um, And then I'd encourage you to take that notepaper with you, grab a a pen, and just jot down some of these verses that I may mention in the Old Testament or fast-forwarding into the New Testament. You won't have time to flip there. I already told Steve in the screen that he probably can't stay up with me this morning. That was both a challenge and uh, uh, an opportunity to just sit back and relax for a little bit. But I would encourage you to jot some of the references down just uh, as a thought. Uh, to be able to go back and look at, look at this. But the first thing I want you to note in uh, John 1.14 is that the birth of Jesus reveals the Word of God. The birth of Jesus reveals the Word of God. And it was in the, uh, the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, when God began to reveal Himself by His Word. He would say, Let there be light and there was light. His Word is what revealed Himself uh, in those things. And then He revealed Himself ultimately on the sixth day of creation by creating man in His own image and making uh, a a body, uh, a flesh, uh, made made of flesh and bone. But then the Bible goes on to say in Genesis 2 that He breathed life into that body uh, of Adam to give Him life. And it's from this creation that the writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul, says in chapter 1, verse 20, that speaking of God, his invisible attributes, and namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And so you may come in here this morning. You know, wondering whether or not there really is a God and and wondering what this Christmas is that Christians are celebrating and that our culture has made much of. And I'm here to tell you that on the authority of God's Word, the Apostle Paul says that just looking outside and looking at one another, creation has revealed that there is a God. It's revealed His power. It's revealed His divine nature in that. God has spoken His very words and has made us. And yet, even though He's made us and even though His creation is proof that there is a God, sadly, mankind, beginning with Adam and every man and woman after that have rebelled against Him, have rejected Him as our God. Um, And yet, God continues to speak. And the next time God speaks after Adam and Eve rebelled against Him was both in curse and promise. And the curse was both to man and to woman and to Satan who tempted Adam and Eve there in the garden. But there was a promise in the midst of those curses. And the promise is found in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put enmity or hatred between you, speaking to the serpent, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her offspring, speaking of one individual male offspring. We go on to say that he, this one offspring of Eve shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel right there in Genesis 3:15 in God's very own words is a promise that he will make all things right that he will restore what was broken in the very beginning right there is a promise of christmas a promise that eve will have a descendant offspring who will come and crush the head of, of Satan. Um, why did Jesus have to come as an infant? Why did Jesus have to be born um, into this world? Could He have come in another way? Well, I, mean, I guess He could have. God, have. God could have introduced His Son in another way, but because He promised it from the very beginning, He had to make right on His Word. And so God sent him to be born as one of Eve's distant offspring to even fulfill that promise. And so we fast forward even from there. God continued to speak. He spoke to um, uh, Noah uh, a little bit later. He spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph. Uh, Later, he would speak to Moses out of burning bush and call Him to go and to deliver Israel. He would later speak to Moses on Mount Sinai and give Him His very Word to be written down that would both reveal who God is, but also reveal how mankind was to live uh, in accordance with Him. God has been revealing Himself in Word in Genesis and in Exodus. to Moses specifically, so that he could write down. He continues to speak his word to Joshua as he leads God's people into the promised land, to the judges as they continue to bring um, order in the midst of chaos. He continues to speak his word to the kings, uh, though many of them rejected him. And finally, he spoke through the prophets. Some of the prophets spoke uh, a word of repentance to Israel. Some of the prophets spoke uh, a word of uh, an encouraging word to remain to Israel. Some of the prophets told Israel to return back to him. 400 times in the Old Testament it says, Thus says the Lord. 600 times in the Old Testament it says, God said, God has been revealing Himself through his word throughout all the centuries of all the all the earth and yet when we get to the gospel of John John has already introduced this word to us from John 1:14 in John 1:1 where he says in the beginning was the word and there he is titling Jesus the word Uh, The very one who spoke creation into being with words is now titled the Word. Jesus is the Word and He was in the beginning. And the Word was with God and John says that the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so John has introduced us to Jesus as the Word, uh, which is a um, a Greek word meaning or, or the Greek word logos, which is really describing God's complete revelation of himself, his total message of himself. And it's wrapped up in who Jesus is. And, G- and John is introducing us to Jesus as the word who has become flesh. He has wrapped on flesh. I don't need to go and read it again. Graham already read for us in our call to worship, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. But there the writer of Hebrews is describing all of the ways that God has spoken to us, but now he's finally spoken to us through his son. And and this God, Jesus, had to come in the form of a man. We ask, you know, why is Christmas that important? Why did Jesus have to come as a, as a man? Why did He have to take on flesh? Well, it's because we needed a Redeemer. One who would stand between God and man as a mediator who was both God and man. And this is the way God brought it about through His very own Son. The writer of Hebrews would go on to say in, in chapter 2, Verse 17, Therefore He had to be made like His brothers, that is, humanity, in every respect. Why? So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. How? To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be made like us. Otherwise, there would be no one to make uh, us right with God. There would be no one to stand in the gap. There would be no mediator for us. There would be no hope for us in the midst of all of the brokenness and despair that we experience in this world. There would be nothing. The eff- Sin and the effects of sin would continue to rage war on us until there was nothing left. And yet Jesus entered in He who was from the beginning took on flesh, humbled Himself and took on humanity so that He could stand in the gap. So that He could be both God and man. So that as the writer of Hebrews again would go on to say in chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin. And so Christ came to do what Adam couldn't do in the very beginning, to live a perfect sinless life. And here's where I was mentioning earlier every aspect of Jesus is important. His birth was important, his life was important. Because just if if he were just born of a virgin, not inheriting the sinful nature of mankind in the past, and yet lived in sin Himself in life, He would not be a faithful high priest able to um, make propitiation, make payment for our sin. And so we needed uh, a sinless Christ who was born to us. We needed a sinless Christ who lived for us. We needed a sinless Christ who would die for us, who would rise for us, and who would ascend for us where He sits now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We need all of Christ as our one and only Savior. And we have in Jesus, we have all of that available to us in Christ, which gives us hope not only when we look backwards at the first coming of Jesus and think how important it was for Jesus to fulfill all of God's words In the Old Testament, all of His promises, all of His prophecies, it's great to look back at the first coming of Christ and remember that Jesus made good on all of His promises. Um, Because that gives us hope considering those promises that have yet to be fulfilled. Those promises of Jesus that He gave that have yet to be fulfilled and won't be fulfilled until He returns one day even in the midst of living in this sinful world, in the the midst of our own sin, in the midst of others' sin, in the the midst of the effects of sin in this world, we can look forward to Christ's second coming that give us hope that while there may be pain here, there, there will be no pain. While there may be uh, tears here, there, there will be no crying there. Um, Here, While there may be darkness there, there will be no darkness. And we have these promises. We have these hopes from Christ Himself. And we have promises even in the book of Revelation where there in uh, Revelation from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 21, Jesus continues to say, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. The beginning and the end. And He invites all to come. And at the same time, He says, I'm coming soon. And we must be ready. We must be ready for this One who is coming. This very Word of God that is coming. In Revelation 19, verse 11, this picture of Jesus is described for us by the Apostle John when he sees in this vision heaven opened and behold a white horse. And sitting on it is called faithful and true. Speaking of Jesus. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Jesus has already come as the Word of God and revealing God perfectly, the radiance of his glory. Uh, The invisible God made visible for us. Um, And we ought to repent of our sins that forced Him to come. We ought to believe and trust in Him today. Um, For He is going to return again. And when He returns, He will judge. And He'll judge us according to His Word. Whether or not we've believed Him or not. And so Christian, if you've trusted, having trusted in Christ, having repented of your sins, whatever cards you've been dealt this week, this month, or next year, look to Christ. to His promises that have been fulfilled, knowing that the promises that He's made um, for the future will be fulfilled, just as the ones of old will. Have been fulfilled. But if you have never trusted Christ, if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning considering um, who is Jesus, who is this celebration all about. Let me encourage you in considering this Jesus who is God, who both came and who lived a perfect sinless life and died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins who was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead and then ascended to the right hand of the Father and will return one day, let me urge you to take Jesus' invitation to come. To come, to repent, and to believe in Him today. Lest He come tomorrow and you be found wanting, lacking, of faith. Lest maybe He doesn't come. Maybe Jesus tarries and He doesn't return. But maybe you breathe your last tomorrow and you stand before God tomorrow. Either one of those outcomes, you need to make sure you're ready, having trusted Christ. And I urge you to do so. But John introduces us to Jesus, not only as the word become flesh, but he goes on um, and he gives us another uh, aspect of of Christ. That is that He dwelt among us. And so, uh, this Jesus not only reveals to us the Word of God, but the birth of Jesus reveals the dwelling place of God. The dwelling place of God. And like the Word had roots in Genesis and Exodus where the Word was first spoken and written down, this word too, uh, this phrase as well has roots in Exodus also. Dwelling, the dwelling among us goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. But we could go back even before that and consider in the garden where Adam and Eve were created by God and it says that He walked among them. In fact, after their sin, uh, it says that they hid themselves from Him as if His presence was among them in the garden. And We too, having sinned against God, have done the very same thing that Adam has done. Tried to cover up our sin, tried to hide from God in the midst of it, tried to make excuses and blame others in the midst of our sin. And so, God, for Adam and Eve, he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. And it wasn't till generations later where God um, came and began to dwell with his people once again, though not as he did in the garden because He won't dwell like that with us until the second coming. But He dwelled with His people. He dwelled with Moses. Exodus 25, verse 8, um, hints at that. that, uh, And even before that, God dwelled with uh, with His people in revealing Himself, as we'll see a little bit later in uh, a cloud of glory and a pillar of fire by night, but more specifically, he dwelled with his people in the tabernacle. Exodus 25, eight says, "...and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst." This was good news for the people of Israel that God was going to dwell with them, that God was going to live among them once more, that God was giving them instructions in how to build a tabernacle, to build a sanctuary, uh, that God might live among them, though there were going to be many other rules uh, and many other instructions on how that was to be played out. And that they would have God dwelling among them for a good time in the tabernacle, in that tent, And when God would rise up out of the tabernacle and move out in front of them, they would tear down their campsite, pack everything up, and move and follow. And when God stopped, they would stop, and they would rebuild the tabernacle again, and God would descend into the tabernacle again, all the way until the people get all the way into the promised land, and there David longs to build a house for God, a permanent residence for God. David didn't get to build it, but Solomon got to build this temple. And there in in 1 Kings chapter 8, it says that God descended into the temple where he would dwell with man. But sadly, mankind continued to sin. Mankind continued to rebel. And so uh, many years later, during the time of Ezekiel, uh, it says that, that the glory of God really rose up and left the temple for a season. He no longer dwelled with man. And that, hap- that occurred for some um, four or 500 years, that the presence of God was not there like it was before, until... Jesus enters the scene. And that's why when John writes in this way, it's such good news. For there had been silence and there had been really emptiness for so long among the people of God. God was not dwelling with them like He had done before. So they were longing for God to dwell with them. God to return to them. And so when John says, That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the history that these people have in their mind. That's the good news that, that they see in Jesus. And yet it goes even beyond there for the New Testament would then describe all who repent of their sins and trust in Christ, then themselves, we ourselves, then become the dwelling place of God. For God does not reside in buildings made with stone or wood or precious metals. God resides in the hearts of those who are His, those who have repented and trusted in Him. Which is why Ephesians would go on and say, the Apostle Paul would write in chapter 2, verse 19 So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And members listen, of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Listen, verse 22. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So Christian, consider, consider what we've been looking at together in John 14. The promise of the presence of the triune God with us. Here, Jesus, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us is good news that we as God's children, are the dwelling place of God. And so Jesus' birth, it not only reveals the Word of God, but it reveals the dwelling place of God. uh, Both in the Old Testament, uh, we saw His dwelling place, but Jesus reveals the dwelling place of God perfectly in Himself. He reveals the dwelling place of God in the church, in those who have believed. But we look forward to His second coming when there will be a new heavens and a new earth, a perfect dwelling place of God that will be with man. Consider Revelation 21, verse 3, where John writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. And so consider what we have to look forward to because right now, though we are the dwelling place of God, having been cleansed of our sin, justified by faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit residing in us, we still fall short. We still sin. People still sin against us the effects of sin are still all around us. And it keeps us from truly experiencing um, the ultimate and the full reality of Christ dwelling with us. But we have that to look forward to, Christian. We have that to look forward to when thing, everything will be made new in the new heavens and the new earth. When there will be no, none of our own sin no one else's sin, and no one's effects of sin marring or distorting the dwelling place of God with man. And so whatever circumstances you may find yourself in, sickness and death because of the effects of sin, others sinning against you and tearing up relationships, or even you sinning against others with harsh words and Uh, straining relationships and bringing hardship and consequences of that. Repent and believe and look forward in hope to Christ's second coming when the dwelling place of God with man will be ultimate and perfect and, and fulfilled. But there's another revelation there. That this coming of Jesus reveals the Word of God it reveals the dwelling place of God but it reveals the glory of God as well and again like I said earlier this the these phrases in this tree of a verse have roots all the way back in Exodus and this this uh, aspect goes all the way back to Exodus 33 in Exodus 33 The glory of God up to that point has been revealed um, once to Moses already in a burning bush that was not consumed when God spoke his word there uh, of his leading God's people out. Um, So God's glory has been revealed in the burning bush. God's glory was revealed, as I mentioned earlier quickly, that uh, in that Pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire that led God's people out of Egypt to the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness in the midst of their sin, all the way into the Promised Land. God's glory uh, was there, though um, not His person, not God Himself in all of His glory, but what we would call His Shekinah glory. Uh, for all to see and be guided by him. And, And with those little glimpses of God's glory, there came a point where Moses said, I want all of your glory. I want to see all of your glory. And God said to him there, you can't handle all of my glory. In Exodus 33, verse 19, it says, And he said, Um, God said you can't handle it. So He responds to Moses by saying, I will make My goodness pass before you and and will proclaim before you My name, the Lord. And I will be gracious. Remember that. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, He said, you cannot see My face. For man shall not see Me and live. That is, man in his sin until one day all is made new, right? Verse 21, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by Me where you shall stand on the rock. And while My glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with My hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand and you shall see my back, but my face, my glory, shall not be seen. This is all that Moses could handle at that point of the glory of God. Um, And yet the glory of God, as I mentioned earlier, continued to be seen in the tabernacle and there in the presence, uh, in the, uh, the temple, in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt. But again, in Ezekiel, the glory of God, the presence of God lifted up. Ezekiel 10, verse 4, "...the glory of the Lord went up from the the cherub to the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord." The glory of God left. There was absence and silence for a period of Israel's history until Jesus entered the scene. And John says in John 1.14 that in Christ Jesus, we have seen God's glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. This is good news. That Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God. And Jesus' signs would prove that. This is why John was so meticulous about recording all of the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Because it was these signs that revealed the glory of God. Consider John chapter 2, verse 11. Uh, John says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. Or consider what Graham read earlier in our call to worship. Hebrews 1.3 Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. Jesus is the revelation of the glory of God. But sadly, as I read from Romans, though the Word creation and the word of God reveal God to all though um, God's presence and his dwelling place and God's glory have been revealed in Jesus mankind has rejected him mankind has rejected the the glory of God Romans chapter 1 verse 22 claiming to be wise they and I would say we we became fools And we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Christian, we know that to be true of us all too well. That though we know that Jesus is the glory of God revealed to us, how often, even this Christmas, are we tempted to look at the glory of a present the glory of a relationship, the glory of health, the glory of plans, the glory of all of those things, and exchange the glory of Jesus this Christmas for the glory of those things, only to, be find, only to find out that those things leave us wanting, leave us unsatisfied, um, leave us uh, falling short. They disappoint. They're taken from us. They die. Christian, if, if we put as great as creation is and all that God has made, if we put our hope in the glory of creation or created things, uh, we're worshiping idols. We're not looking to Christ and they'll leave us wanting. Only Jesus will not leave us wanting. Look to Christ in all of His glory today, Christian. If you have yet to trust Christ, realize this, Um, you probably know this in the years that you've lived, that the things of this earth will not satisfy you and cannot save you. Only Jesus can. And look to Jesus this Christmas, but we have hope in the second coming. We have hope in the second coming of Jesus as well, that in the midst of this broken world, as we're doing our best not trust in the glory of created things and look to and trust in the glory of Jesus we have hope of his return where one day the glory of God will be revealed perfectly without sin our own sin without the sin of others against us and without the effects of sin revelation 21:23 That new heavens and that new earth, that new Jerusalem, that city, it has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. Why? For the glory of God. The full glory of God. The glory of God that Moses couldn't handle then, that we can't handle now, we will get to be in later. The glory of God gives the city its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb of God, whom John records in the Gospel, John the Baptist's words, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Look to Jesus, who reveals the glory of God for us now and will one day do it ultimately in the new heavens and in the new earth. But last thing... um, Jesus reveals the grace and truth of God. The birth of Jesus reveals the grace and truth of God. This is what we see at the end of John 14 that Jesus, this Word who dwells among us, who reveals the glory of God, is full of grace and truth. John would go on in verse 16 of John chapter 1. To describe this fullness of grace and, say, and says and from his fullness we have received we have all received grace upon grace uh, that aspect of this tree has its roots as well in exodus in, in that story that I just read to you of Moses longing for the glory of God I, I tried to note it there where God says I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and not not a few verses after that in Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 it says that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The grace and truth that John is writing about in the Gospel of John has has its roots all the way back in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where God reveals His grace and His mercy. I don't know if there's any other better place where we see the grace of God described uh, for us than in Ephesians chapter 2. A section of Scripture that we know well as a church. We sing often as a church um, in song. But I want to just read for you and pray that you're stirred to remember the grace and truth that come in Jesus Christ for us. Christian, remember from where you have come. And if you come here this morning yet to trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, consider how these first few verses describe you and described those of us who consider ourselves Christians until we trusted in Christ. And then consider that the last section of the these scriptures could describe you if you would trust in Christ this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 verse one, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, in verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, Christian. And if you're not a Christian, note that it will only be by grace that you will be saved through faith. But this is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. The grace of God described there is what we have experienced as Christians. And it's that grace that we then go out and attempt to share with the world around us. It's that grace that we desire to show forgiveness to those who have wronged us. It's that grace that we aim to live in, the hope and the joy of Christ, despite the circumstances that we live in, um, whether it's persevering in the, in the midst of the effects of the fall or our own sin or others' sin against us, we have to live in that grace of God until Uh, that grace is revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ. When he returns one day, and we who have been adopted as sons and daughters by his grace will receive that inheritance, that ultimate gift of grace, being with God the Father, being with the Son and the Holy Spirit with one another forever. So whatever circumstances you find yourself in this morning or maybe this afternoon you get a call or a text or something happens that was unexpected uh, or maybe next, next week when the new year happens and you think you're going to start things fresh and it seems like another bucket of darkness and sorrow and sin and trouble and different things come upon you, let's remember that Jesus uh, reveals to us the Word of God, the glory of God, the dwelling place of God, uh, and the grace and truth of God for us to persevere now and have hope into the future. And if you've yet to trust Him as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to trust Him this very day, this Christmas Eve that tomorrow on Christmas you might worship Christ differently than you've ever attempted to celebrate Christmas before. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship and praise you for, for who you are and for all that you've done. Jesus, you truly have revealed to us the the meaning of Christmas. Jesus, you really have revealed uh, the Word of God to us, the glory of God to us, the dwelling place of God. Lord, in the grace and truth of God. Jesus, we praise you for that. We thank you for the hope that it brings now in this life, but we thank you for the hope that, that we have to look forward to in the life to come. We thank you for the invitation, Jesus, that you have given to all of us to come. To come to you, repenting of our sins and trusting you. And those of us who have, the more days go by, the more weeks and years that go by, the more heartache we experience, the more brokenness of sin that we experience, ourselves fall into, the more that others sin against us, and the more that the effects of sin have on us, it seems like the, clo- the more days that we have, Lord, the more that we're saying, come soon, Lord Jesus. And yet, Lord, what we're experiencing is nothing new from Christians throughout the, the centuries. And so we, with them and with those who will come after us, we pray, Jesus, come quickly, come soon. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.